0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode 4 of On the River of History. I'm your host, Joan Turmel, historian-in-residence. The history of life on Earth is punctuated by several key themes. Throughout these next three episodes, I will be explaining the events that shaped the age of visible life, the Phanerozoic Eon. This time spans 541 million years, all the way to the present day. So this is the Eon to which we are currently in. You will notice that the evolution of living organisms is often regulated by the recurring fluctuations of a mostly oxygenated atmosphere and a mostly carbon dioxide atmosphere. You'll also see that, despite the sheer horrors of mass extinction events, they are critical in shaping biodiversity. And perhaps most crucial of all, the development of new features among groups of organisms is mostly a process of reshaping and recycling old things. In evolution by natural selection, you will never see a new trait forming out of nothing, Nearly always, new traits are developed in specific situations and only later find new uses as the environment changes. The first era of the Phanerozoic Eon is the Paleozoic, or the Age of Ancient Life. It lasted from the beginning of the Phanerozoic, 541 million years ago, and ends 251.9 million years ago. It was during this time that grand marine ecosystems developed and spread all across the globe. And living things spread out onto the land and made a home for themselves there. The Paleozoic starts with the Cambrian period, 541 to 485.4 million years ago. Following a brief period when the fragments of Rodinia collided to form a new supercontinent called Pannotia, which itself split apart some 573 million years ago, the land masses of the earth were mostly collected into four continents. The largest, towards the south pole, was Gondwana. An expansive and long-lived continent, Gondwana includes regions that will eventually become Africa, South America, Australia, India, Madagascar, and Antarctica. Moving northwards from the South Pole is Baltica, which includes most of Europe. Flanking Baltica is Siberia and Laurentia, which is made up of mostly North America. Two great oceans encompass the continents, with the Iapetus Ocean separating Laurentia from Gondwana and the Panthalassic Ocean, making up most of the northern hemisphere. Bordering the continents were an abundance of shallow seas, which acted as a cradle for the newly evolved animals. As the Ediacaran fauna slipped away to obscurity, the descendants of the first animals diverged into two major groups based upon their mode of embryonic development. There is a process called gastrulation, where the growing bundle of cells collapses inwards on one side of its body and becomes the precursor to the gut. For most of the animals on one lineage, the protostomes, the opening to the gut became the mouth, and the exit hole, the anus, opened later. For the members of the other animal lineage, the deuterostomes, the opening to the gut became the anus first, and the mouth came last. This seemingly trivial observation underpins most of the animal kingdom. By the end of the Proterozoic Eon, most of the major animal lineages had evolved. The biggest key trait for the animals of the Cambrian was the development of hard skeletal parts on their bodies. Prior to these adaptations, most animals were soft-bodied, and resembled worms. Around the beginning of the period, some lineages began to incorporate minerals like calcium and silica onto their bodies. This biomineralization is still poorly understood, but has been hypothesized as tying to dietary needs. Some of the oldest fossils of hard parts belonged to the teeth of early worms, like protohertzena, that could have used their new adaptations to better grab prey items. In response, some organisms, like the early mollusks, developed hardened shells to protect themselves. One lineage of animals used calcium carbonate to stiffen their bodies and support themselves on the sea floor. Possibly related to sponges, the archaeocyathids formed symbiotic relationships with algae and bacteria that bound their cup-like bodies together, forming the first reef-building organisms. As later animals, like true sponges and the ancestors of corals, refined their abilities to make hard parts, they soon overran the archaeocyathids and drove the entire group to extinction. As more and more lineages evolved hard internal and external skeletons, and the process became increasingly easier due to chemical changes in the oceans, animal diversity peaked in a grandiose display of unique and fascinating species 535 million years ago. This was the Cambrian Explosion, an event marked in the fossil record as the first time that organisms could really leave well-preserved fossils, as shells and skeletons tended to preserve better than soft parts. That being said, There have been some spectacular fossils found in Cambrian deposits that have managed to preserve more easily decayable structures, like tentacles, internal organs, even skin pigmentation. These types of fossils seem to have formed through a rapid layering of clays that prevented the bodies of the different organisms from breaking down. Two sites stand out for their deposits, the Maocan Shan Shales in Yunnan, China, and the Young Burgess Shale of British Columbia, Canada. With most of today's animal lineages already established at the beginning of the Cambrian Explosion, much of their evolution during this time went towards the development of their primary modes of life. Mollusks are among the most abundant animals in the oceans, rivers, and lakes of the world. But their evolution, like that of all major animal groups, began in the warm saltwater seas off the coasts of the continents. The shells of mollusks serve as defensive structures that protect their vital organs from predators, and they themselves feed with a hardened and barbed tongue called a radula, that scrapes edible materials from the surfaces of rocks. Cambrian mollusks came in a variety of forms, including the three major groups. The valve-shelled bivalves, including clams, mussels, and oysters. The mostly coiled-shelled gastropods, snails and slugs. And the cephalopods, squids and octopodes, which gradually lost their shells. Distantly related to mollusks are brachiopods. You're probably not familiar with them, but during the Paleozoic era, they were one of the most common animal groups in the oceans. They look like clams, but are actually very distinct in their anatomy. The valve-like shells of brachiopods cover filamented tentacles that collect food particles from the water, and the shell is opened and closed by special muscles. Clams, like all bivalve mollusks, have a ligament that controls the movement of their hinged shells, and they're free-swimming organisms. Brachiopods attach themselves to the seafloor sediments by a long, flexible stalk. Though while adapted to their environment, mollusks and brachiopods are outnumbered by the arthropods, today the largest group of animals in the world. Ancestral arthropods used minerals to strengthen their entire bodies, and developed an external skeleton, or exoskeleton, that preserved their internal organs. Unique for most animal groups was the evolution of jointed limbs, which could be adapted to a variety of different environments and lifestyles. Living arthropods include insects, arachnids, crabs, shrimp, and millipedes, some 80% of all animals. Who could guess that an exoskeleton and jointed limbs would prove to be such a successful adaptation? The road to the arthropods was paved by many strange experiments in evolution, and the animals that underwent these changes belonged to a larger group called panarthropoda, named because it includes arthropods as well as their relatives. Genetic evidence and fossil remains show the earliest panarthropods as worm-like creatures with stubby limbs and soft skins that probably walked along the sea floor or gripped onto sponges, like squirrels and monkeys in the trees. Today, there are a few living descendants of these early groups, called velvet worms. Their soft skins leave them vulnerable to the element, so they only survive in moist, tropical rainforests. One particularly curious member was Hallucigenia, famous among paleontologists because it was originally interpreted as a many-stalked animal that used rows of tentacles to grab food from the water. Later studies discovered that these researchers had accidentally been viewing the animal upside down. It was an early panarthropod, protected from predators by a row of spines that grew along the back. The tentacles were actually its limbs. Later panarthropods continued to strengthen their bodies with minerals, and some adapted their limbs into paddles, allowing them to swim among the sponge reefs of the Cambrian oceans. They developed two appendages on the undersides of their heads that served as sensory organs, and a few toughened those organs with hard teeth. One bizarre member of this group was Opabinia, looking like some Lovecraftian beast, shrunk down to a measly two and a half inches. It sported five eye stalks, and it had one long, flexible structure that ended in a little tooth lined grasping grip, which it used to snag food and bring it towards its mouth, kind of like an elephant. But the group that really dominated the Cambrian was the Anomalocarids, which took up a wide range of niches. Niches are like occupations that organisms hold, the roles they play in different ecosystems. For example, a tiger holds the niche of apex predator in its habitat. Nothing preys on it, but it alone sits at the top of the food web. Some anomalocarids may have filled the niche of apex ocean predator. There is some possible evidence that these panarthropods used their frilled appendages to grab soft-bodied prey and direct it towards a circular mouth lined with teeth-like projections. But many members of the group were filter feeders, with their appendages lined with long bristles for collecting food particles, like the baleen whales of today. Though they were the largest animals in the Cambrian, anomalocarids appear to have mostly died off by the end of this period, with evidence that a few species clung on for another 100 million years before going extinct. Proper arthropods fully divided their bodies into segments, each sporting its own pair of jointed limbs. These animals divided into two major groups, mandibulates with paired antennae and chewing mouthparts, and chelicerates, lacking antennae and having shredding mouthparts. Mandibulates include insects, crustaceans, and myriapods, millipedes and centipedes. Chelicerates include arachnids and horseshoe crabs. The highlights of the Cambrian explosion, and really the stars of the Paleozoic era, were the trilobites. We're not sure what kind of arthropods they are, that's really the only major mystery of this now extinct group. Their woodlouse-like fossils are so prevalent and their records so complete that we have a good idea of how they lived, what they ate, and what the reproductive cycle was like. The name means three lobed, and refers to the general structure of their exoskeleton a cephalon, or head, a thorax, and a pygidium, or tail. They came in a variety of different body forms, including species with spines, species with enormous eyes, and species with thin bodies. There were free floating planktonic forms, and trilobites with eye stalks that probably hid under the sand, but most trilobites appear to have grazed on particulate food. The larger species grew to the size of bed pillows, large enough to eat other trilobites. In the Cambrian period, they were the most common and the most successful of the newly evolving animals. The previously described animals were all protostomes, but deuterostomes had also expanded in diversity. One prominent group in the oceans were the echinoderms, who incorporated minerals into a strong but flexible skeleton or endoskeleton. A series of tubes stretches through their bodies and helps these animals breathe, move, and feed. Echinoderms today include sea stars and urchins, and the earliest members of the group were mobile organisms. However, most Cambrian echinoderms appear to have been filter-feeding stalked animals, attached to the ocean floor. Other deuter include the hemichordates, which were worms that supported their bodies with a long nerve cord and breathed through gill slits at their front ends. Perhaps the most important group to animals such as ourselves are the chordates because this is the lineage that humans and all other vertebrates belong to. Ironically enough, chordates did not play a large role in the Cambrian oceans, and as a whole they were probably uncommon in their ecosystems. Like hemichordates, chordates have gill slits and a nerve cord that runs through the body, but in this group the cord became supported by a rod stiffened by cartilage, the notochord. Also prevalent is a tail that helped these deuterostomes control their movement as they swam through the seas. Some of these chordates retained these ancestral traits and buried themselves into coastal marine sediments, becoming the lancelets. Others hollowed out their bodies, and some of those secured themselves to rocks, becoming the sea squirts and salps. The ancestors of vertebrates developed early in the Cambrian period, around 530 million years ago. Particularly good fossils from the mao Shan shales in China show that two early vertebrates, Hycoicthes and Mylokunmingia had encased their brains in a skull and supported small vertebral elements around their notochord. These were not true bony vertebrae, but from these ancestral forms onwards there was a marked increase in bony hard parts throughout the body. Animals like these were very fish-like, and for all intents and purposes, they could be called the earliest fishes. By the end of the Cambrian period, the abundance of minerals in the shallow seas changed nearly all of the major animal groups alive today, and in turn, they began to change their ecosystems as well. Prior to the Cambrian explosion, much of the seas were covered in mats formed by microbial colonies, including those of cyanobacteria. With the rise of grazing animals like mollusks and echinoderms, these mats began to face decimation as the new animals feasted on them. As a consequence, these mat-forming microbes began to move deeper into the oceans and higher onto surface rocks, where these newly evolving animals could not get them. Roughly 499 million years ago, Deadly hydrogen sulfide levels rose, and oxygen levels depleted in shallow marine waters and caused many different species to go extinct. Trilobites were severely affected, as were many unique forms of animal life. It isn't clear what set off this change in ocean chemistry, but it set the conditions for new animals to evolve. To continue this episode, please go to part 2.